we have our first follow-up. Oh, really? Yeah, the, um, I got the follow-up on Twitter. Um, so last week we talked about um, how game jams can be improved. Yeah. And we got a follow-up from Carl on Twitter. Yeah. And he um, he links to a blog post from um, Jonathan Blow about the Def Jam, Dep Jam, they did. Yeah. Uh, and the Dep Jam was something he did together with Chris Hacker, Mark Tambosch, and Daniel Ben Magui. They were already working on the games. They sort of cr criticizing each other's games in four days. So sort of the opposite, yeah. sort of the opposite of a like regular game jam. So it's like people they yep. people they already knew each other. The games were already in development, and it's sort of uh, trying to um, trying to improve your game design. So yeah, yeah that was interesting. Um, I had for yes. I had forgotten about that. I I read this before, but I forgot about it, and, and I sort of got. I sort of got interested in doing a Def Jam. Uh, or yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. Also, the, all this talking about game jams make, made me want to start more jams. Just, I want to do a pajama jam. <laughs> okay. Where you, it's like a pajamas party. Yeah. Or slumber party. <laughs> but you, it's a game jam. <laughs> yeah. I think that would be fun. Sounds like a sleepover. Yeah, at someone's apartment, like smaller. I think maybe it's the the same. Yeah, maybe we could we could combine those two. Yeah, a depth slumber party jam. Thank you, Carl, for writing that in. It's uh, nice to get feedback. Definitely. Um, um, and we got some more feedback regarding. So, so um, this time we pre-announced the theme of the episode, which is we're going to talk about open source. Uh, mm -hmm. And I asked on Twitter if people have any favorite open source um, projects that are game related, um, and they got they got a bunch of of them. There's a Box Two D, um, Phaser, um, and like a few a few open source games which I, I like FreeSIF, for example. So sort of oh, yeah. um, re implementations of existing genres of games so mm -hmm. <coughs> so that was nice um to get yeah. some, to get some feedback so so now i prepared actually i prepared a list of uh important open source projects that are related to to games so maybe we can go yeah. go through them um, in this episode sounds like fun sounds like fun let's do it yeah let's do it okay um but i wanted to start out with how you feel about the state of open source in in indie games? Um, if you compare it to, you can easily compare it to um, web development, for example. Yeah. Where, <laughs> and I think we talked about this. It feels like a bit like a deja vu if we talked about this off the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly, it's not as good, I would say. But I'm not sure it's super bad either. Like. I think there there is less awareness maybe of open source among game making people. Do you agree? Uh, yeah. I was surprised when I did the research how many projects I found that were significant. So you mostly hear about. I mean, you often I think you often hear about the commercial tools and not so much about the open source tools. Like you often hear about Unity. Um, mm -hmm. For like for example. And you don't hear so much about the open source tools, or if maybe it feels like the open source tools are like more scattered out. So everyone's using like a different tool. Um, yeah. There's no clear winner in like one category if you use open source. No, um, no I mean a lot of games, or I mean most games nowadays, it feels like they're made in a proprietary tool, like. Game Maker, Unity, um, some engine like Unreal Engine, stuff like that. Those big yeah. <laughs> engines. <laughs> uh, I mean, but of course, I mean, uh, I've I've done, I've made a lot of games in open source engines uh, like Cocos for iOS and 
open frameworks mm-hmm. also for iOS. Um, so and I'm I mean a lot of games are of course made with those kinds of things too. So, uh, but yeah, you usually talk more about the commercial ones. Like Unity, of course, has a lot of bus these days and it's very proprietary so why don't you use open source tools for everything like in your case you used um so you used open frameworks for um shot or shoot yes exactly uh well i mean in the end it it's usually kind of similar experience to use both things because you don't have the energy to learn how to change the open source project so you still have to ask someone to fix things for you (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's kind of similar with the product you pay for like uh, you have to ask someone to fix things so i think for most people using open source or not open source is kind of similar in that sense like uh, I mean, usually that's a, an argument that you would uh, want to use open source is that you can fix things, which of course is true, but um, that's, uh, I mean, it's also kind of good with the, when you pay for something, you help them, like the creators, to actually keep working on it. So in the end, it's kind of an equal, equally big chance that someone would actually actually fix the things for you, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> like, in that sense, it's not very much of a difference. It's more like you pay for some stuff and you don't pay for some stuff, and then you will wait and see and if they, like, update it for new platforms and stuff like that. Even though, like, it's very nice with open source. I mean, I, I appreciate... Uh, like the ideas behind it. I think it's uh, usually a lot of really good things are usually open source and they're probably good for that reason also. Maybe? Let's imagine a parallel universe where Unity was open source, but you still need to license it to use, like let's say it would be like like now they're free and pro, but in this world, in this world, you would you would pay for like if you make x do- x amount of money, you would mm-hmm. you need, need to pay for a license. So how? What would be different about Unity? What do you think? Well, I think it would be harder for them maybe to have it so universally work on like consoles and things. I, I have a feeling that that takes a lot of negotiation and like it's good to be a proper company that makes the engine that can talk to Nintendo or something. It could still be a proper company, but you could you could see the source code. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. Like, Okay, um, I see what you mean. But maybe it would make mm. it harder for them to to get on consoles because maybe it would, maybe it would be harder to negotiate when when the source code for let's say the PlayStation part or the Xbox part is like visible for everyone. You know, maybe that needs to be yeah, um, in binary for like some reason. Yeah, I think when you do the bindings to a, an engine like that, you. I mean, you need the hardware, of course, like the development hardware, and that's usually under lots of contracts and stuff. So might be a reason why it's hard to... Like, there needs to be some kind of um, thing in the middle there that can work together with the super-secret console manufacturers, as long as we have super-secret console manufacturers at least Mm -hmm. so that's one aspect of it i think but uh, yeah i think uh, an open source unity would be very interesting i think some people might be 
working on it. <laughs> uh, but I don't mean I don't mean open source Unity where someone makes a replacement for Unity that's open source. I mean like oh, okay. I mean Unity it is dominating the indie game development market in a way. Like what mm -hmm. what would like what would be different, you know? Because yeah. I because I don't think it's so interesting to build something that someone else sort of structured and designed and to just re implement it in open source. I mean then you mm. just get open office, which is kind of a terrible product. You know, yeah, like <laughs> like I think I'm not talking about sort of cloning an existing no, um, okay. commercial product and the only thing you get is that it's free and that you have access to the source code. I'm talking more about you still have like the, the product version of Unity, but like what would be different? Like how would the whole the landscape look like? Like would it yeah, would it okay, be would it be different at all? Uh, because there is open source uh, software that you actually pay for, or that you have the option to pay for. Like for example, mm -hmm. like you could have a Unity free and pro, and you still pay for pro, but you get the source code. You know, for both you get the source code for free and for the free version, and then. Um, if you want the pro version, you would get the pro version binaries and the pro version source code, right? Yeah. Um, but it would still be, it would still have a license. So you're not just going mm -hmm. to pirate it. Yeah, I, th I think Unity, like the company would be less well off. They would have less money if that was the case. But I'm not sure what would change in the, in like, I think they would have more problems with uh, the um, uh, like console ports and so on. But I don't know. Maybe it would be good for uh, like I, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about this whole ecosystem of plugins that are sold for money around Unity. Mm -hmm. Seems like a kind of a weird uh, thing where you can it's very i mean you kind of buy the source code there in a way i think i haven't really bought any plugins yeah. but i think you get the code usually yeah I, you... I bought the plugin for unity actually um, like yeah. a small one i'm not a big fan of unity asset store um because it sort of it de-incentivizes um people to make open source for unity yeah exactly because the default if you look at if you go back to web development, if you do something in web development and you have like a project and that's helpful to people, the default thing is to make it open source. You know, mm -hmm. like if you don't know what to do, you're just going to put it on GitHub. Um, yeah. Um, the default, if you do something for Unity, like a plugin or like a library, the default is to put it on the asset store and sell it for ten dollars, hundred dollars, yeah. whatever <laughs> it makes sense. Like the, no. the pricing is like variable, but like the default is to put it up there. Um, and it has made it all actually, it, it makes it harder to evaluate if the plugin is any good mm -hmm. because it, it sort of most of the stuff is behind a paywall. The documentation is often not really good because it's not online usually. It's usually like in a PDF. Like the documentation mm -hmm. is, be is behind a paywall as well, right? They Yeah, and you have already bought the thing, so... Uh, they have kind of already profited from you, so the, it's not in, like what what you want to do as a plugin developer is to have really cool screenshots, kind of. <laughs> yeah. So so I'm not sure about Unity as a store, but on the other hand, um, I mean, there are also you could maybe argue that that was the wrong way to go, and it would have been more beneficial for Unity to encourage open source mm -hmm. uh, plugins. But on the other hand, um, here in Stockholm, um, there's a developer who made uh, Shaderforge. Mm -hmm. And I think he sold really a lot of copies uh, of Shaderforge. Maybe he wouldn't have had the incentive to make like this really awesome tool and make it open source because it's it's like so good. You know, everyone who uses like 3D in Unity wants to have it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that, that's, that puts the finger on something interesting about open source because like, it takes a very special mix of uh, circumstances to make an open source project really work. Like, 
like it should. I mean, I usually put all my code that uh, I write up on GitHub, like not well, everything everything that is kind of not the actual game I will sell, uh, or I have started doing that at least. And I mean, though you could say that those projects uh, or code libraries are uh, open source, of course, anyone can look at them, but I mean, they are not active projects like that. Like no one is helping me out on them. And uh, if people were trying to make them better, I'm not sure I would have the time to like support them. Uh, so I mean, it takes a certain kind of person or a group of people to have an open source project and let other people in on it and make it kind of a fruitful thing where where it lives on on its own you know mm -hmm. uh, if i mean maybe for this uh, shader forge guy maybe paying for it is what makes it possible for him to keep working on it so maybe that's a great solution there but for other things where people want to help out it's better to have it as open source because then it doesn't matter if the original people lose interest or something. So it's, it's kind of very circumstantial if uh, what solution is the best solution. So you have a free, I think you have free open source projects um, that are related to Ed's Heartbreak, the game you're working on? Um, yeah, might be even more actually. At least that's, uh, but yeah, these, some... these were the ones I could find on GitHub. So that's Grim, Relay, and uh, Spork. Uh, yeah. Right. Are these like popular? Like, do you get f do people use these? Do you get like feedback from people? Um, no. <laughs> do you don't know if people are using it? Uh, I don't think anyone is using them. Like, I know some people have looked at them, which is great. I mean. For example, there is a language implementation there, like a programming language. I know some people who have wanted to do language implementations have looked at it and kind of to see how you do that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't think anyone has actually used it. Okay. Um, I, I know one person who looked at my dialogue system. It's called Grim. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, was uh, interested in my solution for how to do like a dialogue system. So I think uh, it's more academic interest than actual usage out of those things. But still, that's uh, that's a win to me. I think mm -hmm. like, it's cool that anyone is even uh, poking around there. So instead of sort of doing a tutorial of code snippets, you just put up the whole code for this certain part up there. <laughs> well, I mean. To start with, I, I really like putting things on GitHub just because uh, it's a good open source or like a source control system and it's uh, good to know that someone can read your code because then you will write a little better code. Like you will think about uh, making it a little more clear like because someone could look there. <laughs> uh, so I, I just like that. Mm. And also, it's uh, it takes a lot of work to write proper tutorials and things. So, uh, I, I mean, it's a lazy way of being a little nice mm -hmm. to people. <laughs> so, how much more work is it for you to sort of extract those um, libraries into its own? Like, how much effort uh, is it for you to do that instead of just having everything sort of inside your project and never share it with anyone? Well, it's uh, no work at all because I wanted to do it that way anyway. Like, I to separate uh, everything was separated even before I pushed it to GitHub. So uh, that was okay. very easy. How about you? Do you have what open source things do you have? Um, I had uh, an open source project in ActionScript 3, uh, mm -hmm. which was somewhat popular, uh, which was called Sound Control. Okay. which was basically um, a way to try to solve and standardize a s specific problem we always had in 
the Flash games we were making. So in the Flash games, I was working with a friend, uh, Martin Strucker, who made all the sound design. And when we started out, he always had to send me the files, like the the wave files for the music and the sound effects, and I would have to put them in. I have to, would have to recompile, send them the Swift. And then he would tell me, hey, can you make this like 10% more loud? Or can you change this sound effect? And it, and it was really, it didn't feel very efficient. Mm. Um, so what I did instead is like make this sort of library I make this bunch of classes in ActionScript that would take an XML where all the sound files are defined and you could define spe certain properties uh, in the XML and the sound designer can work with the XML and just uh, and you can sort of you can sort of have like a developer mode where you can load an external ex an external XML into your local Swift file so you can just run the game change something in the XML, we'd start the game and then hear the hear the difference. I see. Um, without having to recompile and without having to ask the developer to do a change for you. Uh, mm. which was really nice. Cool. Um, and there was there was like a bunch of properties like for example how fast uh, something would fade in, um how mm. loud was something was like the panning, like basically everything that you could do in flashback then audio wise, you could sort of set there in XML. And there were a few people that that I found out afterwards. There were a few people that used it that I'd sort of randomly met. Like, are oh, you the guy who made this? Mm, um, cool. That was cool. Um, but then now few people use Flash. So and I'm not using Flash much nowadays. So I stopped working at at some point. Or like it's it's sort of yeah, it's still there um, if you use Flash, but. So sort of, uh, it's sort of done, I guess. Mm. And then I didn't, and I wanted to do like more open source projects, uh, and I s started like some, but I never really had the same. Uh, I never went into a situation again where I had like a really good solution to a pr problem someone else also had. Right now, yeah. <laughs> now, now it's more like okay, I have a problem. I look on GitHub; someone has already fixed it. You know, and it, and it's really elegant, and it works really well, and it's like updated, updated and maintained. So though there's sort of no, this is a, for me it feels like hard now to actually solve interesting problems in open source because so many, like seldomly that I have like a, you know, like I, the, like I have an expertise that um, no one else had before me, and no one else already solved. Mm. But now, now you're talking kind of about web development or. Yeah, about games also. Um, like in general, I think. Okay. I've yeah, I've been doing a bit more web, web development maybe, but I didn't run run into a problem in game development either, where I felt like okay, I really need to to find like a nice solution for this, and then we get to share it. Um, I, I mean, I think really that Unity could be such much more nice with those things. It's like, maybe I'm not looking at uh, in the wrong in the right places, but it feels like a lot of the code you find for Unity isn't, it's not nice in the way you want nice code. Like yeah, you really want something that someone has worked on and documented and made it into a proper project. Usually you just find like a snippet of some sort. It feels kind of like uh, JavaScript back in like 10, 15 years ago, yeah. uh, when you find Unity things, and then you just paste it in and see what works, or I mean, you just find the, the line that does the thing you really want, and mm -hmm. you write it yourself afterwards. Or something. It would be really nice, I think, with good open source Unity things. Yeah, I think that would be very helpful for Everyone who's, I mean, so many people are using Unity now, and there's definitely things that are, that you have to write yourself. Yeah, I think one problem is that there is no common language in Unity that everyone uses. That's true. Um, well, they can, but they can still kind of operate together pretty well. But it feels, 
like it's even I think it's even a problem if you if you start out in Unity and you just need like a sort of a code snippet to solve to understand and solve a specific problem that you might have as a beginner mm. and you Google for That's it true. and then you find a solution in JavaScript but you're doing C sharp and, and then you're still trying to figure things out and you you don't know how to convert it from fake JavaScript to C sharp. <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that's a pretty terrible experience. That's true, but I, I mean that that's where a library could uh, kind of work actually. Like, but also it's kind of hard to do libraries for uh, Unity. It's I mean since you write these components, maybe I mean maybe it should be components rather than libraries. But then again, I, I guess what we what Unity doesn't have is like a. So if you look at the Ruby, you have Ruby Gems, which is basically mm. a way for you to install third-party libraries in a in a nice way, and it sort of takes care of different versioning. So things mm -hmm. you can make sure that things are not incompatible with each other, um, and then you have something similar in JavaScript. Yeah, so for it, Node and. So and I and I guess and and these are all where we like there's usually you know like one solution or like if you look at tools on RSX, you have homebrew. So you have all these different like sort of a package managers. So I guess it would be mm -hmm. nice to have like a com component manager in Unity where you sort of have like a central repository of open source projects in Unity. And you can just say, okay, install this and then I can use it in my projects. And I don't need to sort of fiddle around with, you know, it would take care of well, finding this. You, you would just have to do like an import somewhere and then it would figure out everything yeah, i mean uh, of course now. yeah i mean the, the the people behind unity of course would say that the asset store is this thing since you cannot also yeah but the asset store uh, is such a horrible experience like it's like yes <laughs> because nothing is that you can do free you can do free things no but but also, the so problem like... also is nothing is standardized in the like everyone yeah. just does everyone has their own documentation system everyone has their own like marketing website like um you know you, ha you have to i don't know it's, it's it's just like the wild west yeah it's so, true i mean they should definitely have had looked at more standardized ways of doing it like uh, i'm looking into haskell now and their package system is i mean i'm not sure i like it that much but it's very standardized like you can find the documentation on a special website, like everyone writes documentation the same way and every project just works the same way, kind of like you, you, you know where everything is. Have you, if you've learned how to take on new libraries, you can just use this exact same system for everything, mm -hmm. which is really nice. Yeah. They should have looked at that. And I mean, they probably did, but they, chose to do this instead which is sad okay yeah. <laughs> um, no but i mean nothing prevents anyone from doing such a package system like maybe a server pulling things from github or something like just a list of projects and putting up standards for things but that's maybe one thing that like if Unity was open source, that would feel more in the vein of the project. Now it feels like mm -hmm. that would almost be illegal to do that yeah. since you're competing with the asset store. Right. It would be maybe they do like a change in Unity five, and then basically you're you're out again. Yeah. So yeah, that's sad. I think there is uh, a market, so to speak, speak for. Um, uh, like new, better, free engines, like some of the like older open source engines, like I don't know Ogre or something. They could they could learn some from uh, Unity, like in how to make an approachable environment. And I mean, it it's more a matter of like user interface design than technology in those cases i think hmm. like th there could be a renaissance for those things actually if, if people took what they've learned from 
Unity and uh, other nice engines like GameMaker and uh, Unreal and so on, and uh, put those things back into open source engines. Mm. I think people could start using those more again, maybe. Yeah, one example of a tool that needs better UI would be Blender. <laughs> but they have made a new UI. Yeah, <laughs> just putting that out there. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I try to learn Blender once a year, and uh, I already always rage quit. <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can see that. <laughs> it's a terrible experience every time, but uh, it's a very cool project, and uh, I'm sure some people really love the interface since they keep it around. <laughs> right. Yeah. I guess I guess once you understand that it's not this bad experience but you have to get past this point yeah no but it, that's a very interesting open source project of course uh, that's been around for a long time and they must do something right because they actually come out with new versions with new things in them and like keep keep it rolling i guess one of the one of the things that Blender has um has on its side is that the alternatives are so incredibly expensive mm -hmm. um, like if you look into like professional 3d software it's like the most expensive software you can buy right so yeah so it, it makes sense that people are willing to and it's, and it's also like in 3d software is complex in general so it's not easy to get into it's like people don't, don't expect to, that it's going to be easy to learn it so there's a learning no. curve with all the different tools Yes, I, I'm sure if you start with Blender, you will be totally fine. It's more like people coming from other tools into Blender and they get uh, really angry. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there is uh, a cheaper Mayana for games, actually. Uh, so that's good thing, but it's still not. Uh, open source, of course, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but it's uh, much cheaper. So I think uh, they have. Th there are things happening there with the business models for these things. Like things can't be as as expensive as they've been before. Mm -hmm. Almost all of these things are getting indie licenses nowadays, which is funny. But right. that's like the the word you use to. To get people to buy the cheap version, <laughs> come be an indie developer. It's cool. Yeah, but it makes sense. Also, um, you want to know which version to buy. Yeah. Um, no, it's just uh, funny if if everything would in other industries or something would be sold like that. Like, do you want the big truck or do you want the indie truck? Yeah, in the truck. Whatever. Let's cut that out. Okay. <laughs> what was what were you saying? Uh, let's go for some projects um, in in like game related open source. Mm -hmm. um, just real quick, um, because I was thinking maybe not everyone knows about these, and it might be nice to you know if you're interested, you can just look them up in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some um, SDL too. Um, which yeah. which someone from Valve is actually working on. Um, so okay. um, an SDL basically uh, makes it a bit easier for you to do C++ development. It gives you like um, libraries for in input output. Yeah. Um, so you can sort of standardize the way input works, the way window management works and so on. Mm -hmm. um, I so think it's even also C only. Oh, is it C, not C++? Sure. Maybe both. You can tell. I, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, there, there's a lot of bindings from different languages. It's uh, one of those old <coughs> things that are used for a lot of projects. All right. But I have never really used it, actually. <laughs> it's uh, not super easy to use, to be. Okay, SDL is written in C and works natively with C++. 
and there are bindings available for several other languages, including C Sharp and Python. Yes. Okay. So yeah, so we're actually using SDL for future unfolding. Oh, cool. Uh, which is uh, something we learned from Spirits because in Spirits we used uh, Coco uh, because we started with iOS and then we reported to Mac and then we had to sort of uh, outsource the porting to PC and Linux and Android. Um, mm -hmm. And now we're using SDL to be able to have less work porting basically if we want to port somewhere else or like basically we want to do pc mac linux out of the box or like we mm. want to have the option for that at least um yep. so that's the reason we're using sdl we, we still want to do like our own engine because we have like a graphical style that's sort of hard to do in like an, an existing engine but we mm. we don't want to do everything from scratch so it's good to have like like some basics covered with sdl yeah makes a lot of sense I think a lot of people would say that you don't get very much from STL I mean, compared to uh, like Unity. <laughs> yeah, of but, course, uh, it's it's uh, it's like there's a huge difference. Obviously, you have to. It's really, I guess, it's like the bare minimums you could yeah. use. Like you don't want to do everything yourself. This is like the bare minimums you can get. Yeah, but um, it's great that uh, there is a project like that if you wanna really like you, you do like do your own style and do it in a optimized way mm -hmm. and so on that's good then somewhat related there is a uh, steamers uh, which is open source uh, which is based on um, debian i think okay yeah so it's linux so it's a linux some um, variant i mean right now you can only get like dev boxes it's not there's no like official one one oh release of Steam OS yet, but it's I think it's interesting to mention because uh, it's interesting that there are like more like companies like Valve and Humble that are sort of pushing they're pushing for Linux in a way, and if you mm -hmm. and if you're pushing for Linux, you're always pushing open source. There's sort of you can't separate those two. Um, no. Well, except that uh, it Linux be is becoming this thing that is kind of driving everything secretly. <laughs> uh, so I mean, how you mean? Maybe. Well, I mean, people who will buy a Steam box will probably not even know that there is Linux on it, and people who use Android phones don't think about it being Linux and so on. So maybe, maybe everyone will use Linux in the future. No one will know about it. Yeah. <laughs> That's possible, yeah. of course. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I mean, in that sense, it doesn't help open source because you don't think about that it's open source just because it is. Uh, if it's hidden behind uh, things that you can't change, like if you can't pull back the curtain, you it doesn't really matter that it's open source, maybe. Yeah, but I think from a developer standpoint, it matters because if you think about the main competitors to SteamOS, that's basically Windows and macOS, mm. um, which are both closed platforms and like closed in different yeah. ways. So yeah. from a developer's perspective, I think it's a good thing that there's like a push for Linux. Yeah, because definitely. because it gives you more options and it gives you more freedom in like certain ways. It's like like the quote from Gabe Newell was like Linux is the get out of jail card. And while of course yeah. <laughs> while of course Valve follow their own interest, I mean they you know they they support Linux because they they don't own Windows and they don't own the Mac OS. And they don't have yeah. they have like zero control over that, so that's why they want to go their own thing but i still think the implications are that more development tools are going to be open source that's true um in the long one at least yeah and uh, of course yeah i, I don't think yeah it, it's probably going to be a lot of good things coming out of it eventually uh, as long as uh, the steam box 
is kind of open. Like you don't want them to do too many special customizations so that it kind of becomes a console anyway. Yeah. Like you, as long as it stays a Linux system and things feed back from them into like the other distributions and so on, then I'm super positive. Like, but I've just a little, like, I'm not sure how much actual good things will come out of yeah. it. Like, I think it's great for, for Valve. I think they, it makes a lot of sense and it's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Right now, the, the value is, the mo Valve is getting the most value out of making the Steam, the Steam machines. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe next step is developers and then next step is consumers. Um, mm. Because the, the still, it's still an open question if people are actually going to buy these things. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but it's an uh, interesting development. Yeah. Uh, next I have on my list is uh, Gorilla Audio, which is by uh, Tim Ambrogi, who did the PC and Linux port for Spirits. So yeah, it, okay. it's actually extracted from Spirits. It's an audio engine. It doesn't do everything for you, but it, so it's like less complex than than FMOD, obviously, but it yep. takes care of a few things for you. Uh, and it's cross-platform. Cool. Um, then we have uh, Flixel and Flashpunk. Oh, yeah. I think Flixel is the m more commonly used. Like yeah. out, out of these two. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how many people are still like using it act actively um, because it's obviously like tied to it's tied to ActionScript and then there is like a there's also an iOS version which might make sense for certain games but it was really really popular especially during the years when when sites like Congregate yeah showed up where you could make your own 2D game and it would solve all these technical problems for you and it would run like really, really fast, even in a web yeah. browser. So it would basically, the Flixel would basically solve the performance problem for you, which for many sort of beginner and intermediate developers were too hard to solve back then, I would think. Yeah. Um, so it's really, really like a, an awesome engine focused on 2D. Yeah, that seems like a really great project overall. Like. And they had really nice documentation yeah, yeah. and the tutorials and everything was very nice about the project. Like it felt welcoming. Yeah. So that was a good job. Yeah, it was, a, it was a nice community around it as well. Um, and also someone mentioned on Twitter there is also now Hex Flixel. Okay. Uh, which, so I think Hex, I have never used it myself, but I think the point of it, it is it's like action script free like but you can sort of compile it to different platforms yes so you can so someone obviously made a port of flixel to hex so you can cross compile to different platforms but still use flixel um, framework yeah. so someone recommended that on twitter mm -hmm. um, and then there is phaser which is which seems to be like sort of flexible for HTML5. Okay. It seems to be, I've uh, seen it a couple of times, seems to be like one of the m more popular HTML5 2D frameworks. Uh, okay. It looks really solid. Uh, someone else uh, talked about Box2D. Yeah, I mean, that must be one of the most important ones in game development, really. Yeah. It um, seems like so such universal library <laughs> yeah it feels like it's probably there must be so many games that are driven by box cd um yeah. and also so many commercially successful games yeah <laughs> um, there must be some magic in there in the code <laughs> since i mean it otherwise people would write their own thing more often or does no one know how to do physics or what the thing? Physics is hard, isn't it? It's like, I mean, yeah. I guess. I mean, I would never try to write it myself. I don't have a clue how to do it, but 
Uh, I mean, to to start with, you need to understand physics, like independent of your how good you are programming. Yeah, sure. But I just mean like usually there there is a at least a few things that uh, fight for the like it it seems like box 2d is used by so many people like it's it has much more adoption than uh, things usually uh, i mean programmers are famous for wanting to write their own thing and of course there are other physical engines but it's just uh, i think one reason is that it's like really really performant yeah and you can have a lot of objects moving around and you and sort of it it gives you a lot of value, right? Like so, if if you want to make like any game where you have like objects moving around and you can have like hundreds of objects uh, and still have a good frame rate, yeah. imagine doing that yourself. You get like so much for, and you don't even have to pay for it. Yeah, I mean, perhaps it's just written like maybe it's perfect code. Maybe you can't do it better than that so there is no reason to do it i don't know it would be interesting to hear hear from someone who has used it a lot why it's so good i guess the only reason not to use it would be if you maybe don't like the api and you would you know would would like yeah. to make the api to your own taste like yeah or you just want to learn maybe sure. you would write now i feel tempted to write my own physics engine that's yeah. just to see how hard it is you're welcome <laughs> um <laughs> and then I'm gonna get really famous for making a better physics engine than Fox 2D. Yeah, it's, <clears> that's <throat> probably what's going to happen. <laughs> no, I, I will. Let's uh, move on to the next one. <laughs> you should you should do that, but you should finish your game first. Yes, <laughs> that's probably a good idea. Finish your games, Swedish people. <laughs> then we talked about open frameworks. Um, which I yeah. think is pretty mature by now. Like, is is that safe to say? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's always been pretty. Or I used it like three years ago, and it was pretty usable. And they keep coming out with new versions now and then, and so on. So mm -hmm. it seems pretty in a good shape. It's a, I think it's a very good library if you want to do. Uh, well, anything, but if you want to do 2D games with C++ and get those benefits like of good performance and cross-platform and mm -hmm. everything, that, that is a good fit. Yeah. It's a nice, I mean, I think it uses, of course, OpenGL behind the scenes. Uh, so if you don't want to learn that, just like if you want to draw shapes and pictures and play sounds and like everything is wrapped in a in an API that is kind of like processing. So if you come or if you're coming from that background, like you use processing to do audiovisual stuff, and then you wanna uh, do more advanced things that are more that takes more power or something, then it's really great because then you can just use the same techniques mm -hmm. there. Cool. I think processing has been really good by the way for those APIs like they showed how you can really make a nice simple API mm -hmm. and and uh, I'm, I've been using similar things for a bunch of different languages and when I when I learn some new technology I, I try to find that project that is like the processing library for that language or something and mm -hmm. it's just it's just so much more fun to learn a language when you can do little uh, like screensavers and uh, right. small games with just circles and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, processing is still, I think, a really great like learning environment. Mm -hmm. And I think they they're coming out with bindings for other languages now, which is great because uh, they were using some kind of Java in the original one and that wasn't really the best choice mm -hmm. so now i think they have python in there and things like that so that's very nice if you want to 
help someone get going with programming, I think that might be a very good way to start. Mm. Cool. Uh, and related to open frameworks, there's Polycode. Oh yeah. Which is a bit like open frameworks, except that it started as like a game engine slash framework. Then now it's a bit more mm. flexible. Um, okay. So I think if you're if you're interested in open frameworks, you should probably also check out Polycode and compare mm -hmm. which one fits your taste. Yeah. Uh, last one on my list is um, Do Prescott from Rami, which oh, yeah. which was not open source in the beginning, but he made it open source after people asked him. Mm -hmm. um, so you can make your own Prescott for your game, and making it open source makes it easier to do like small modifications that you might want to do. So the interesting thing about the discussion about making the Prescott open source was that so Rami was arguing that the value of the whole thing is that it is absolutely standardized. Mm -hmm. So you have like a certain layout and a certain like certain headers and certain colors that make it easy for journalists to, to sort of quickly find what they're looking for, right? So that you have like a game journalist and they want to write about your game and they don't want to they don't have much time. And they won't just want to yeah. find the stuff they need, like get the screenshot or get like the name of the company or when was the company founded and where's yeah. the latest trailer and so on. So there's a very strict structure and like a very like standardized visual look to it. How did it work before open sourcing it? Like you could still, anyone could use it, but they couldn't change the looks of it? Or? Uh, so before to press it was open source, you would run, if I remember this correctly, you would sort of run an installation or there was some kind of installation file that would ins install Prescott for you. And I think it would run on the server. So so the basically, there were some parts of Prescott that were not publicly available. Okay. Right, so you would, you would download the thing and then you would sort of install it or install and then download it. But there was something in Prescott that wasn't easy to change the way it was written, okay, right? Um, because I think it would would involve something running on the server where you, where you would download the the files. Okay. Um, so you could still, you know, you could still like change some stuff, but it was it just was made harder. It was like intentionally. It's like okay, you're not you're not supposed to touch this. You're only supposed to change the XML, which with where all the data comes from. You're not supposed to touch all these other parts because it should be like this because it should be standardized, which is an interesting discussion. Like, do you want to standardize everything or, or do you want to let people make improvements to this, to the software? Yeah. And so he open sourced it. So he open sourced it. And, f and there's a few people doing like pull requests. I think the fragmentation he was afraid of didn't really happen because I think most people are just happy to use it as it is. And maybe yeah. they changed like the color of the background page or like the maybe they changed the font. But mm. I, but I don't think journalists are going to have a harder time finding what they're looking no. for if, if 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 the site has like a different font, right? It's I think you can make certain adjustments without any downsides. And I think overall the pull request fixed like a few bugs. Overall, it was the right thing to do. Yeah. But it was interesting to see like go it growing it from sort of being proprietary software to it, which was still free, but you were not supposed to change anything to something that you can adjust it a little bit more at least. Yeah. Seems like a good project and something that makes a lot of sense to be open source when it is when you see it as when you when you get used to it being open source you think why would this ever be not open source <laughs> but another yeah. interesting note is though that it was already highly successful like it was super popular before you open sourced it so i think open sourcing yeah. it was also more like a, it was more like a academical discussion also 
you know, from people mm. like us saying, oh, this should be open source because it makes sense. But yeah, in this specific case, maybe also it didn't matter like super much. Like it didn't, it didn't make or break the project, you know. Um, yeah. what, what made it successful was that it was really easy to use and that it had like a sane structure that was sort of validated by someone who is successful with indie games and then also by people he knew that work on the other side. This makes sense from like a journalist uh, perspective. So it's like ease of use and expertise made it successful. Yeah. And not if it was open source or not. So, which is maybe a good example that you maybe also can oversync open source so that it's Definitely. not like a magic bullet for all problems. No, I mean, for, for some projects, it doesn't matter, especially if it's something that's free, like a freeware game is probably, probably doesn't matter if it's open source that much, like to the people playing it, mm-hmm. because they won't change it anyway. It's it matters to someone who wants to know how a certain thing is done in the game or something, but that's just a few people that's gonna get that benefit out of it. Like, uh, but then of course there are other other kinds of things that make a lot of uh, difference if they're open source, like uh, like the things we've talked about, some like uh, low level components maybe or like language you're using if i mean a lot of people don't use programming languages that aren't open source Mm -hmm. which makes sense uh, to some extent i think that's also a problem actually with unity and their focus on net like of course mono that they use for c sharp it's open source and uh, so on but there is something about that Microsoft, the world, where it's coming from, that's not a, as good at open source as uh, other things. Like you, you get a lot of community things with the different languages and so on. Uh, mm-hmm. Like open source and everything that comes with it is something you have to learn. Like it's a culture you have to learn how it works and. Uh, in the web world, people have really learned it, but there's still a lot of people in the game world that could learn more about it, I think. Yeah. Not to be negative, but <laughs> I, I think a lot of people also know a lot about it, but it seems like, uh, and maybe it's because, I mean, of course, the classic thing about websites, you can always look at the source. That's one thing like people working on big games, like usually keep all the source hidden. Like they never put anything out there because they can't, like they're not allowed. Let's talk a bit about like open source games yeah. and why they are not more open source games. Um, so one of the first games that have been open sourced, uh, like a, one of the first important games that have been open sourced, uh, was Doom. Yeah. Uh, and Quake. That's a good example. Yeah. So let's start there. Um, and interesting, you can go to GitHub and go to ID Software, and they have like tons of stuff up there. And they mm-hmm. they usually separate um, the code from the content, so you can you can sort of use the code and look at the code, but you don't have access to the all the graphical files and the sound files and so on mm-hmm. most people probably want to look at the code to see how things are done right because yeah because they're technically so impressive yeah and you can also copy the files over if you own the game of course yeah and, sure and then you can compile the source yourself and play the game right <laughs> that's correct yes and then you can do your own mods, of course. It's basically encouraging everyone who already bought the game. You can do, you know, you can sort of fiddle around with it, which is, which is cool. Yep. Um, there's two recent indie games I could think of that have been open source. Like one was kind of bold, uh, and the other one was was the back catalog of Introversion Software, mm. which was the Vinia, Multivinia, Defcon, and Uplink. Yeah. It feels like there are not so many games that are open sourced. Like 
many open source games, my impression is this either like older games or it's games that are sort of clones. And let, let's make like an open source version of Civilization with some changes. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the big big ones, right? The Battle for West North or something. Battle for West North, yes. Someone mentioned that in the Twitter as well. But I think one reason why there are not more open source games is that there's like a, a big fear of commercial pirates. Mm. It's a fear that is uh, grounded in people that do take your intellectual property and like upload it in, in their own name, right? So, I mean, yeah. I think there's, so Cannibalt went open source at some point and then, yeah. and now the team behind it has to f deal with people who upload Cannibalt clones. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> and not sort of, like really like carbon copies where they just, they just change the name and the icon and everything else exactly the same. It's pretty terrible. Yeah, which is a pity that this happens, but it's also, yeah, in, in games, you, I think most people, like once you, once you start selling your game, or once you have the intention to sell your game at your point, you sort of have to almost guard your source code, because there's like too many people who could do like malicious things with it, mm. which, of course, the downside to that is that um, people can't easily read the source code of games that would be interesting to read for, for example, academic purposes or learning purposes or making your own mods. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that there haven't been more examples of open source games because the, the abuse is so high, especially on things like the App Store, where it's like really hard to, to fight for your intellectual property and like fight for your copyright. What, yep. what do you think? Well, yeah, I think I think you're right, and it's sad, but uh, I think people tend to do it after a while. It seems like like when they are kind of when they've been selling for a while, and maybe no one is interested in the game anymore. Then they, it there is at least a chance that someone will open source it. So. It seems like, but I, I think it would be nice if that happened even more often. And of course, it's still a problem if someone takes that code and starts selling it, even if uh, if they don't really have a lot of customers or anything. It's just a really annoying, evil thing to do. <laughs> and maybe it takes energy from the person who put it out there like they don't want anyone else to have like to sell their game or something yeah no i think it takes a lot of energy out of you because also it's not only if someone else sells your game it's also that they probably they're probably mistreating things it's like impossible for you to to control the thing you made anymore yeah. like if people just put out like maybe even sell like a game that doesn't even work you know i think this this happened as well where, where people would just like, like upload sort of half of the game and then it would just not work and you have, have you have paid for it and you're like and they have like better search terms so it shows up first instead of your game um so actually customers have like the really bad experience yeah well but i i also think thinking about it more like i mean to, to be really open source, it's not really enough also just to release the code like as a big file or something. I mean, when I think about good open source projects, those are like they have a bug system and they have uh, people in charge who make decisions and like it's an organic thing where people work together to make something great. I mean, that kind of game, I mean, there are of course those, but that's very rare, but that would be really great to see more, but maybe they have the same problem with uh, piracy 
so to speak, that what they make is such a commercially viable thing. Like if they really made a good game, someone would just download it and start selling it somewhere. Um, hmm. So maybe they would have to have like a lawyer employed also, which is really annoying. But um, uh, I think I think it, it's worth making a distinction there between like a living open source project and just putting your code out there without caring about it more because uh, that's two very different things in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it would be very fun to have that kind of project where maybe you make like a base game that's uh, has like a few fun things in it and then people would do like they would add things and submit them to you like and the game would grow and people would make levels and stuff like that. That sounds like fun. Yeah, I I mean, I would be afraid that it, if you're not careful, it could lead to design by committee. Yes, of course. Um, but if there was a way to solve... But I mean, there on the other hand, there are like great open source, non-game related projects where sort of the best ideas or like where you still have like a strong leaders or strong like vision. Yeah, I think that's a misconception that open source projects don't have leaders. I think like Linux has very strong leader and a lot of open source languages have people who are like reading through every line of code that gets added to the project and Mm -hmm. like doesn't add it if they don't like it. Like it's more, it's almost as if they have written the whole thing but other people did actual writing and the person in charge decide, like looks at it and says, I could have written this. This is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let's add. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, so I, th- I think you don't have to worry that much about that. I think it's more of a, like, do you actually get people excited about the things so they want to help out and uh, so on? That's the hard part reality like uh, and of course uh, open source projects can become unfocused and so on and sometimes they split up into two versions because people can't uh, like agree on some big important detail and if that happened to a game well then you have two games so maybe that's good 